0: Good morning. morning. Our passage this morning is from 1 Peter, verses 22 through 25 of chapter 1. If you're using the Bible in the pews, don't do that. And it's on page 1014. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Thanks, Josh, for reading that. And I encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word, one that you brought with you, whether in print or digital or however, or one in the Bibles in front of you there to that page number he talked about, uh, 1014, 1st 1 Peter. We are continuing in this series here and uh, walking through this book slowly. And um, hopefully, you're enjoying the study. Uh, yesterday's conscience seminar was, uh, was a blessing. And uh, grateful for those who came out for that and for Dr. Naselli's teaching on that. Uh, I did want to mention that um, if you want to order his book, we're collecting those, uh, those names. And we're going to put a group order in for that. That is on the welcome table. Over there is a sign-up sheet for that. Um, and ladies, for your next quarter uh, adult discipleship hour class, there's a sign-up for that book as well. None Like Him. So you can check that out afterwards. Um, and then if you want a copy of the, the slides from yesterday's seminar and those are gone, see me and, uh, and I'll get those to you, okay? You know, sometimes we, we look for signs that something is working. Um, there's this picture that I have. I meant, to, I meant to grab it and put it up there. It's a picture of, of Mia when she was uh, really little, really little. And she's sitting on this little canister in front of the oven, okay, and just looking through the window. And I remember what had happened. We had made chocolate chip cookies together. And she's just... Waiting for the goodness to develop, <laughs> you know. She's just watching this, and sometimes we look for signs. And so, if you bake bread or something like this, you see the dough rising. You know the yeast is working. You know, so there's signs that the things are happening, um, signs that things are actually working the way they should be. Or, or, or sometimes even with our in our own bodies, if we have pain, that's actually a sign that something's not right. And so there's a there's an indication there that that tells us something. Or maybe you're you're treating you're taking take medication for something and what do you do you look for those symptoms to begin to disappear that signs that the remedy that you are taking is actually working here. Um, you know, we we as a church prayed with Wayne for so long about his skin stuff. And, you know, tried many different things. And then over time, it went away. The remedies, whatever it was, um, you know, began to work. And so there's signs that, that things happen and things begin to, to work. You know, we've talked about from 1 Peter here how Peter is addressing a group of Christians who they're... Um, uh, going through a very difficult times, they're being persecuted. They're going through various trials, and so he's trying to give them hope, and he, he's 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 trying to encourage them in their faith. and And so, what we've talked about is he said the first thing, and we talked about this in the first sermon uh, a few weeks back, is that uh, embrace your identity, who you are in Christ. That's going to get help get you through. Uh, these challenging times. And then we talked about how that he, Peter tells these people to praise God for his mercy that he's shown on them. And this is a way, a remedy for hope uh, during the midst of a trial here. Then another sermon we talked about how that Peter is explaining to these people what salvation means and, and understand that, that when you understand what salvation truly is, that should bring hope in, in any circumstance, even in the worst of circumstances. And then last week we talked about This idea of that we need to obey salvation's commanding effects. And what we talked about is hope there. There's a command in verse 13, really the first command of the chapter of of the book so far. It says, set your hope fully on the grace of the Lord. And so we talked about this is how we think, okay? And so the remedy for um, a a difficult situation and having hope is that we have to to think differently. Then he talks about about being holy in the next couple verses. So that's how we live, we talked about last week here. So the question is, what, what Peter's doing at the End of this first chapter. Now, is he's he's bringing out another command, and then he's going to talk about in some ways by by which we can know that these remedies are actually working. So, how do we know if it's actually working? we're looking for signs here, and this is what he's doing in this text here. So what Peter does in this text is he gives a critical response to the Christian who has changed his thinking and their living. So they've changed their thinking of hope, they've changed their living for holiness, and so he's given some, some critical responses here of what that looks like and how that's worked out here. And what he does here, this is by way of introduction here, just so you can understand how often this is in the New Testament, Paul does this a lot, Peter does this, is he employs a, a construction which is called like an indicative than an imperative. So an indicative is a statement of fact that then is immediately followed by a command. And so what he does is he's setting up, these are the statements of fact, and because these things are true, now go do this. And we do that construction all the time. This is true, therefore go and do that. And that's what he's doing here, and we're getting into this. We're going to talk about uh, two of these statements of fact, two of these indicatives, and then one imperative here. And the imperative as you probably picked up on in when Josh read this text, is that we need to be a loving people. We need to love. That's the imperative here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain those indicatives here in a few minutes. We're going to talk about the imperative here to love. And we're going to communicate this using the following three points here. I'm just going to give you the overview right now. We're going to look at two reasons to love. We're going to look at two ways to love, and then we're going to look at two common objections to love. Okay? There could be many more objections, but since I had two for point number one and two for point number two, I just limited it to point number to two for point number three. And because I figured by that time, you'll all be ready for lunch. So that's why we limited the two. All right, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into this. Now that we've kind of set the table, then we'll dive in. Father, thank you that we have your word to discuss. Thank you that it's been read. Thank you for the songs that have been sung so far. Lord, I pray that that they would be uh, nourishing our soul. Thank you that we have the opportunity to have the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, Lord. And I pray that that would be nourishing to our soul. But right now, as we've opened your word, and we are are ready to discuss it and think through it. God, I pray that your spirit would arrest our attention. I pray that we would think very clear. Clearly, biblically, as we go through this text, God. Um, there's a lot of distractions, a lot of things that that uh, that we want to be. Uh, our minds want to wander towards during this time, and uh, I just pray we'll be able to put all those things aside just for a few minutes here, God, and, and focus on you. We need your enablement. I need your enablement as someone who is teaching and someone who has the privilege of doing that. I pray that I would I would say things that are true and accurate to the text here and that are helpful to my own soul and to the souls of those who have gathered here. So we're asking for your blessing because we need it. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. All right, so let's look at two reasons to love, first of all. Two reasons to love, he's gonna talk about this in the text. By uh, if, if you're in... Uh, into grammar. he uses participles to do this here. Uh, verse 22 says, the first one is having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth of sincere brotherly love. This is going to be a complex verse to, to dissect a little bit here. Uh, if we're not careful with it, we can, we can get off the rails pretty fast with this. So let me explain what's going on here. Really what he's talking about here is that love is the evidence of obedience. This is that first indicative. What he's saying, he says, listen, you have obeyed. You have purified your souls through obedience. Now what this is not doing This is not teaching that you have to obey to a certain point, and then you get a, a, a status change where God then says, okay, you've obeyed to a certain point, now there's this, your soul is purified. Uh, we know that he's already talked about how salvation comes. We know that it's only by grace that we're saved. We know that it's God's gift that, that we are saved. And it says in, in, in verse uh, 3, it talks about how he's caused us to be born again to a living hope, okay? And then he's going to talk about this in, in verse uh, 23 again about being born again as well, about That's something that we receive. Here's the the active side of that. What he's communicating here is he says that when we have, he's saying basically, now that you have purified your souls through obedience to truth, you need to love each other. And so what he's talking about is that obedience is our response. It's about our response to God's call to salvation. And so God puts this call out there. Jesus puts out there, the gospel is preached. That's going to be referred to in verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so what he's saying here, he's saying when you responded to that gospel message, when you obeyed that, and if you're a Christian here today, then you did that. There's one time in your life, and and sometimes it's a process, sometimes people can remember the exact moment, but there was a time where you moved from being an unbeliever to a believer. Now for some people, that is like a page turn. Other people, it's more of like unrolling a scroll, okay, where it just takes time. Regardless of how it works for you, the point is this, is that there was at one time in your life where you were not a believer in Jesus Christ, and then now you are. And I'm not talking about that you just believe that Jesus existed. Because for those of us who grew up up in church, we can't remember a time. I'm looking at some of you right now, you know, some of you teens and things and kids right now. You can't remember a time where you didn't know about Jesus, right? Right? You you can't remember a time. Um, I can't remember a time where I didn't know about Jesus. That's not what the Bible talks about, believing in Jesus, though. Just knowing that he existed, knowing the historical fact of his existence does not mean that we believe in Jesus Christ. What it means is that when we see him for who he truly is. You see, in 1 John, it talks about that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, what that word confess means is two Greek words put together. It's a a compound word. It's it's homologaeo. And it means to say the same thing as. We have to agree with God about our sin the way that he sees our sin, okay? So that's, that's true biblical confession. So in other words, confession is not something like, well, you know, no one's perfect. It's not that big of a deal. If you were offended, I'm sorry, okay? How many of you have ever had someone apologize in, in a similar way like that, okay? Let me ask you this. How many of you were just deeply moved by that apology? He <laughs> said, "You know, brother, I love you so much, but thank you, yes, totally for you. No, is you you're polite, and you're, not, you're just like, yeah, they're not sorry at all, right? Because they're not agreeing with you about what the offense was, okay? So that's what it means to confess our sins. That same word is talked about in relation to salvation where it talks about that we must confess the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So now we take the same definition and say we have to say the same thing as, what does that mean? We have to say the same thing about Jesus, what God says about Jesus and who does what does God say about Jesus that he's his son and he's perfect he's holy he's just but yeah he came and he became in it became a human he lived a life of perfect obedience he never sinned once and he died an unjust death and he died so that you so that he could pay that penalty that you and I were supposed to pay and that you and I deserve that penalty We deserve it. Every one of us does. But Jesus here, He died on the cross. And so that if we believe in Him, if we say, You're the only way, it's your righteousness, it's what you accomplished, that is my hope here, that is true belief in salvation. Okay? So what's being said here, Peter says, since you've done this, since you obeyed the word of the gospel, okay? That purified your soul. When you obeyed, you believed the gospel. That purified your soul. So here's what you do. This is the effect that should come from us. The indicative statement of fact. You believed. You obeyed the gospel. Imperative. You love your brothers and sisters. You love each other. It's a beautiful thing here. When you you break down Peter's argument here, you start to see that, okay, this is something that he's saying is non-negotiable for Christians is to show love to each other. This is non-negotiable. And we're gonna talk about why that's difficult in a few minutes here. Again, I'm getting a little bit more tactical than I like to in some of these words, but it's important here. This participle that's used here, it's gonna be used twice. One's going to be passive, okay, that's going to be the second one. The first one is inactive, so our obedience is something that we do. So when we believed in God, that's something we do. But it's also written in what's called the perfect tense, okay. What that means is that it has a completed action in the past, but the effects are still being effective and felt into the present day and into the future. So it's not like something that happened in the past, but the effects are done, Okay, no, 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 it's still happening and still progressing and still being effective. He's saying your obedience, when you obeyed the gospel, that was an effect in the past, but it is purifying your soul today. And it should be causing you to love more. That's the healthy response. So all these remedies that we've talked about here of having hope, what's the proof of this? What's the proof that we actually have hope? Peter is arguing here, that is whether or not you love each other. Don't you see how important that is? He's saying that this is the proof of that. So he says that when we respond to God's salvation call, it has a purifying effect on us. Our position before God changed because of our justification. We've talked about what that word means before, where we're declared not guilty, because, uh, even though we are guilty of sin, but because of God's grace and, and through Jesus Christ. So that means our justification, which has a purifying effect, is our faith, is our obedience. And so what Peter is arguing here is that it's a to. It's a to measure our holiness and spiritual growth is by how you love. Because remember what he's just talked about. Remember last week, how you think, how you live. He says, have hope, be holy. Then he works into this, well, this is how you know if it's working here. Do you have love? So don't tell me, this is what Peter's saying. If Peter were to be here today and were to bring him up here, he would say this. He would say, don't tell me that you're living a holy life if you don't love each other. He says, you you just can't do that. He says, if you're not showing love to each other, you're not living a holy life. That's the argument here that he's presenting for us. it's very helpful to think through. Because here's, here's the thing to think about here. One of the reasons, one of the primary reasons, I would argue, that you are still breathing today is because you're supposed to show love. That's the reason why we exist. It's because what does it do? That brings glory to God. We're supposed to be loving people. Christians are supposed to be loving people because we've experienced the love of God in such a way that never pushes us towards pride, that never pushes us towards condescending attitudes, that never pushes us towards looking down at people. Rather, what it does is it pushes us towards loving one another. That's what it does. That's the effect of a holy life. That's the, effect, the, ho- the effect of a holy life is not uh, um, that we look down on people or we think better of ourselves. No, it's that we love one another because that holiness comes from God and obedience to the gospel. So, love... Is, uh, as we talked about, it, the evidence of obedience here. But he gives a second indicative here in the same verse here, and this is this that love is the effect of the living and abiding word, because he says this uh, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And by the end of verse 22, now verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Okay, through the living and the abiding word of God. Then he quotes Isaiah there. This is such an important uh, point that he's making that he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he talks about how the word of God is abiding and living and everlasting. And then he clarifies this at the end of our text by saying, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ here. So love is the effect of the living and abiding word. This is the, the statement of fact that he's saying here. He's basically saying, since you've been born again, Because remember, he's already talked about being born again in verse 3. He says, since you've been born again, he says, this is the effect that should be evidenced in your life, and that is love. Now, I told you before that um, obedience is a perfect active verb, participle. Here, it's a perfect passive one where it says that we have been born again. Okay. What this means, rather than us doing the born, being born again and us th- causing that effect, we have received that. So as we obey by God, uh, but, but uh, respond to the gospel, and then God, he's the one who, uh, who gives us new life. He's the one who changes and brings us to a new life in Jesus Christ. And so there's this this effect right here of our salvation that should be love that he says, since you've been born again, that's going back to the main imperative there of to love one another earnestly from a pure heart at the end of verse 22. But let's just park here on this idea of love for a minute here. This This is a binding ethic of love here that we're supposed to do this. In fact, when I said a few minutes ago, that you and I were supposed to love. We're supposed to show love. I don't think many people thought in their mind, really? Or, well, I've never heard of that before. Or, yeah, that just doesn't square with what I know to be true. We're not supposed to love, it's not what we're supposed to do. Now, some people may act that way, but when you talk about their ethics, I think most people would agree that, yeah, we're supposed to love. But for Christians, there's a binding. Ethic where we absolutely have to show this. And so the question is, is where does that come from? Does that come internally? Is that something that is something that we are saying in ourselves, okay, in my own heart, I just know that I am obligated to show love to other people regardless of whether I feel like it or not? Is it an internal thing? I don't think it primarily comes from internally. Is it external? Is it something that is because society pushes that on me or the home that I grew up in pushed that on me? I don't think so. I think that internally and externally can have an effect on my ethic of love. But what makes it binding where I feel compelled to obey it does not come internally because I choose not to love a lot of times. It does not come from external situations. Because people often choose not to love. The binding effect, of, or, or ethic, excuse me, of love, according to Peter, comes from our salvation. Because you are a Christian, since you have been born again, you love one another. That's what he's saying here. He's saying the reason why you and I are bound to this ethic of love, where we do not, even if we don't feel like it, we are still to show love towards one another, is because of our salvation. It's because of what Christ has done for you. That should compel us to, to love even in the worst of circumstances and we don't feel like doing it. Now, we're going to talk in a minute here what that looks like here. Because I know some of you are thinking ahead. It's like, okay, what about this? What about that? And I love that about you, okay? But for right now, can we disagree that the binding effect or ethic of love is because of we've been saved, it's because that's the reason why that we say, okay, we must show love to each other. That's what Peter's arguing here, and this is what we must believe, okay? So, this is the gospel. This is the eternal word, okay? And, 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 I, and, and this is really the reason why he brings this up here is because he's showing that this is so radical, and it shows the power or the effect of the gospel in someone's life. And so, I said it this way here, is that the power of the gospel is evident when unlovely and unloving people are transformed into lovely loving people okay that is the effect of the gospel when 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 unlovely people who who people that they're, they're so rough around the edges and they're not very loving people they are transformed into lovely people in God's eyes and loving people this is the beautiful effect of the gospel so my question is is the gospel transforming you? Is the gospel transforming the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that if you uh, uh, are claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, are you becoming more lovely and loving as you progress in your Christian walk? That's a question you got to wrestle with because according to Peter, this is the evidence of holy living. This is the evidence that we have hope in this world. This is the evidence, the outworking of our salvation even itself that we're loving and lovely people here. The text says that the gospel is one that enables us to the ability to truly love one another in a pure way. This is these two, uh, as we said before, two reasons to love is because love is the evidence of our salvation and it's also the effect of the living and abiding word. As the word takes root in our life, as the word of God, the gospel that we see here is beginning to change us because, again, this book here that we teach from each week, the Bible calls it, as we see in the text here, it's living and it's abiding. So it, it transforms us, it has an effect on us over time. And this is one of the reasons why, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally going off my notes here. Uh, this, is, this is one of the reasons why um, consistent, being under consistent teaching of the Bible is so important. This is the reason why it is, is, is that it's the habit of showing up to the church every Sunday. Taking advantage of some of these other opportunities that we have for teaching. Particularly I think of like adult discipleship hour, children's ministries, things like that. This is so important because here's the thing about learning the Bible. The effect of the living in the abiding word. It's not something that just always happens like boom, one time. You know, I, I remember trying to think of how many sermons I've listened to in my life. I mean, how many sermons have you listened to in your life? I mean, some of you have grown up in church. You've been in church a long time. If you start adding, doing the math... It is a lot. I mean, I I remember thinking, okay, I went to church, you know, from, I was born on a Monday, we were there on Wednesday night, okay, right, and and so then, you know, also youth group, then I went to camps, and and then in school chapels, I went to Bible college, I had chapels there, and blah, 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 and I mean, there's a lot of sermons that I've listened to. I've heard a lot of Bible teaching. Okay, if you were to ask me what was like the best sermon you've ever heard. I don't know that I could come up with one. I mean, I could think through and think, oh, I remember when he taught this, that this was really helpful or something like that. Let me ask you, you know, is, you know how, many of these, how many of all the sermons you've thought of, all the Bible teaching you've sent it or? how many times can you think of, like, oh, that one was excellent? There's probably a few examples, but it's, you're probably not tons. Right? I remember someone tell me one time they kind of were like almost ashamed or a little, and they said, You know, I just, you know, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but, you know, I just don't really remember all the sermons you preach or anything. And I said, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who gave it to you. <laughs> I said, you know, and we, I think we were talking like on Thursday. This was after Sunday. This was several years ago. I said, listen, here's the deal. Like I have to think hard right now about my outline on last Sunday. And that was just like four days ago, okay? The, the point is, is that it's not about reproducing an outline. It's not about reproducing a whole sermon or something like that. The effect of the word, the living word, is cumulative, Okay? It means that this is where it's like over and over again, the more you're exposed to it, the more that it helps you and guides you and shapes you and things like that. But if you just have these little snippets here and there and here and there and, and occasion, it's not going to have the effect. I mean, think about it in terms of a relationship. This is talking about the living and abiding word here. What type of relationship my wife and I have if I just popped in and out every few months? You know, I was just like popped in. Hey, you know, we we talk a little bit. Then we don't talk much. We don't really have much conversation. Or what if we we live together, but we never talked. We never communicated. How would that help our relationship? You see, the effect is cumulative, right? So that's what the word of God is. And so the power of the word of God is that there's an effect here. And that effect is that it produces loving people here. Okay. So two reasons to love. Okay. We need to move on. What about two ways to love in this text here? Two ways to love. Well, again, he, he, he gives us two ways here. First of all, he talks about loving earnestly here. Um, this is where, uh, again, I'm in verse, um, excuse me, I'm in verse 22, the end of verse 22. Love one another earnestly. Um, and so this is the first way that he tells us to love. The word there has this idea of uh, straining and stretching uh, the mental images of, of of maybe a weightlifter who's who's lifting lots and lots of weight and every muscle is just absolutely straining right, just, just you know, sh- to the point where he's shaking a little bit. Or think about it, maybe let's go to a different uh, illustration. Think of a runner who is running, or you watch this in the Olympics, and they're running, maybe it's the, the guy in the last leg, he's got the baton, and he's running, and it's a close race, and the crowd's getting louder and louder, and the announcers are getting more excited and excited, who's going to win, and what do they all do when they get to the finish line, what do they all do, I'm going to turn time, what do they all do, they all just leave, forward, right? If you ever get a picture of that, you see everyone just leaning forward and every muscle and strain, tendon and everything is just absolutely stretched to the max because they're trying to get across the line first. That's the image here of loving one another earnestly. Lay it all out. Stretch out. Okay, just use everything you have for it here. Now, the reason why He says it this way, I believe, is because love is not easy. Loving people is not always easy. It's just not. I mean, this is why marriage is hard. It's wonderful. I am so grateful for my marriage and so grateful for my wife. Um, But there's times where it's not always the easiest thing. I mean, you can understand that from a Nook's perspective, okay? Where, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, she's just going to strain in love earnestly here in this situation. The point is, is that love isn't always easy. And this is why Peter tells us we have to love earnestly here. So what are some ways to do this? And so we don't have it in a text here, but I, I didn't want to just pass over this and just say, and give the point here. I wanted to think through some biblical ways. The Bible tells us that we can show love towards one another, okay? One way is that we pray for one another. One way is that we're praying for one another. You say, well, okay, how is that showing? Well, that is actually laboring for someone. So I have a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, you also must help us I love that. Help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us or granted us through the prayers of many. So, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, his second letter that we have. He is talking about how life was very difficult for him. And just actually, a couple of verses before this one, he will have written, he wrote to them saying that they despaired even of life. It was so bad. And he says, Here's how you help us. You help us by praying for us, okay? Pray for us. There's another text here that we have in Colossians chapter 4. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, he greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I love that. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. So how we love one another, how we, we can labor and serve one another is we pray for each other. This is the reason why I tell you every week in my note, be praying for each other. This is the reason why we're encouraging you to pray for one another. A few weeks ago, I told you to look around the room and write down some names and pray for each other. This is one of the reasons why on the 22nd, we're coming together for church. We're going to be as a church for a prayer meeting, not because uh, we're going to pray for things outside of our church. We're also going to pray for things inside our church as well. And so be praying for each other. This is a way that you show love is by praying for one another. And I would argue that this is one of the best ways that we show love is by praying for each other. Pray for your family. Pray for your children. Pray for your parents, teens, children. You should be developing the habit of praying for your siblings and praying for your parents right now. You should be praying for your family. Don't wait till you're an adult to figure out all oh, now I'm gonna start praying for my family. Listen, you of all people, kids, know that your parents need prayer, okay? All right, pray for them. Parents, pray for your children. Pray for one another, okay? One way is to show love, loving earnestly, uh, is through prayer for another. But, you know, the Bible also talks about bearing each other's burdens. And I'm not going to go through all the verses here. I just wanted to show that first one here. But this is the way that we show love towards one another. Is it is in earnestly, it is not always easy to bear someone else's burden. In fact, in fact, rarely is it when someone comes to you and then they're 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 dealing with something that is hugely inconvenient. Let's just be honest; it's hugely inconvenient at times, but it's worth it because we love the person. Love is willing to be inconvenienced, but when we bear someone else's burden, that is not something that's easy. So it takes time, it takes energy, it takes emotion. Sometimes it takes finances to bear someone else's burden. But this is how we love earnestly we bear someone else's word. What's another way? I'll live in harmony with one another, Romans chapter 12 says. This takes strenuous effort, right? To live in harmony with others. And when I went to Bible college uh, as a freshman, the college was experiencing uh, quite a bit of growth during that time. There was, there was a kind of a heyday during that for, for that circle of Bible colleges. And uh, there was a growth coming, so there was a shortage of housing. And so uh, we had a dorm room. I was in a dorm room where I had five roommates, okay? And we were in this one open room that was maybe the size of this like kind of square right here. Bunk beds just kind of all over together. You get six guys who don't know each other pretty well living with one another, um, sparks can fly, right? You know, when you, when you take, and I tell this in, in marriage counseling, when you take you know, God's design of marriage where it becomes the two become what? What does the Bible say? They become what? One flesh, right? So what is the material that God works with? Sinner A and sinner B. <laughs> it makes them one flesh, If that's not a recipe for disaster, I don't know what is. But yeah, God does it because that's the power of the gospel, right? Okay, And so living in harmony with one another, this is how we love earnestly. What's another way? Accepting one another. Sometimes we just don't like each other. But what Peter's saying here, he's saying we are, because of salvation, this is how you know that salvation is changing you. This is how you know that holiness is being developed in your life. This is how you know that you truly have hope right here, is if you're showing love earnestly. And one way to do that is by being accepting towards each other, uh, caring for each other would be another one. Looking out for each other. Are, are, are you willing to, to look out for the interest of other people? Are, are you willing to, to uh, serve one another? Are you willing to, again, sacrifice that time and that abilities and that talents and everything? Um, you know, I, I appreciate um, uh, we had, we, we switched uh, 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 internet service providers here. And so uh, that just, you know, you would think that it's just like, you know, not so, my friend. All right. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, technical work that goes behind the scenes. And so, you know, uh, we have people in our church that were spending hours this week, you know, just just working behind the scenes to get something like that done. You know, uh, caring for the needs of the church here. And I so appreciate that. We have people that are serving right now uh, down in nursery and children's ministry and and, in different security teams and all sorts of things that people are serving right now. And they're caring for the needs of the church. That is a blessing. That's, that needs to come out of love, though. It's got to come out of love. This is what Peter's arguing for. Need to move on. Building up one another here. This is another way that we can do this. And then I'll just end with looking out for each other here. So love is not easy. There are many ways in which that we are supposed to show love. and the, the, But the way that he describes how we're supposed to love is earnestly, stretching. Everything that we look here, every, all these things, praying for another, bearing with another, living in harmony, accepting, caring for, building up one another, looking out for each other. All those things require strength sometimes. And what Peter's arguing here is he says, if you've been a Christian, if you've truly been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're willing to do that. You're willing to love each other earnestly. That's the command. Love isn't easy. It often stretches us beyond our comfort zone. But there's another way. Love sincerely. He says this out of or from a pure heart, the end of verse 22. So this is how we're to love one another. So we love sincerely. It is possible to display acts of love from an unloving heart. And you know this. You you and I know this, right? It is possible to just we, we fear something greater than uh, not doing what we should be doing, and so we just do it, although that's the very last thing that we want to do. Now, there's times where we just do it because we know it's the best thing to do, and we move beyond our personal feelings. That's good. That's discipline. But when we're doing that love because we want the accolades, or we we're doing an act of love because uh, we don't want to look stupid, or uh, whatever the case may be, this is where Peter's saying, you got to love from a sincere heart. You've got to test this. You've got to test to see, are you showing genuine love? Uh, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I don't have it on the screen, but verse 12, if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians uh, one twelve says, for our boast is this, that the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity or holiness and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely, supremely so towards you. He's saying this is that they at least have a clear conscience that while they weren't perfect, they were sincere in their love towards the Corinthians. May that be said of us, that we're not perfect, but the way we show love towards one another here and to our families and to our communities and to the people in our workplaces. Now, the specific application here is towards other Christians, but we can move this beyond that. The way that we show love, it must be, may it be said, that it's sincere, it's not two-faced. It's not duplicitous. And so, these are the two ways to love, earnestly and sincerely. Are we willing to inconvenience our lives for each other? Do we generally care about other people? Or do we generally just see people as a nuisance or a necessary evil in this world? God calls us to do more than that. In fact, he says if you're a Christian, you're going to do more than that. You're going to love earnestly and love sincerely here. Okay, in the last just few minutes here, last couple minutes here, what I want to do is I want to just talk about objections to love here because the reason why is as I was thinking through this t- passage of scripture we don 't have the objectives in this text I want to be very clear about that this is more of an application section as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, okay what would someone be thinking as they 're listening to the sermon other than please Lord, let him land the plane okay so what would what would what would someone be thinking? during this time what objections may be um come up first one i thought of is you know i'm not really wired to be affectionate so when you're telling me i got to show love i got to show sincere love I, you know maybe you're the type of person that when someone goes in for a hug you want to run okay you just want to run cuz you're just you're just not wired to be very affectionate here how does this apply to you well I would say this in answer to this. When you say I'm not really wired to be affectionate, I would say, actually, you are. <laughs> you are. You are. Now, don't confuse, though, what love means. Love is not primarily a feeling. Love is not only now feelings are associated with love. I'm not denying that. I want to be clear. But it's not primarily a feeling. It's not primarily uh, a sense of always wanting to hug someone. I'm a hugger. I don't mind hugs. But not everyone's that way. Okay? I understand that. We are created in the image of God. Okay? The of De. That's the image of God. God is loving. That's one of the ways that his image is stamped upon us, is that we appreciate love. Even though you may think, okay, I'm not very an affectionate person, everyone here appreciates love. Because when they're not shown love towards them, they don't like it. Okay? So, we may say, yeah, I'm just not very affectionate. Okay, but we're putting love in the wrong category at that point. So that may be the objection there. Okay? The command, furthermore, here is plural, meaning all of you. All of you are to love one another earnestly. Uh, we, English language, we don't have a plural form of you. It's more implied by context. If I say you, I could be talking about an individual or I could be talking about a group of people. In this language Greek, which is originally written in, in other languages, they actually have singular and plural of you, which makes it far easier to understand what's going on here. And so this is plural. It's meaning all of you. It's all of you. Furthermore, it's third person. So it's all of you. So uh, the command is to show love. So even though you may feel like you're not very affectionate, the command still applies to you. Um, uh, I'm going to move on. Well, I'll say this, that it, we often show love by denying our own feelings, okay? By going against what we feel. I know for a fact, I know for a fact, and I'm not putting her on the spot here or anything like this, but I know for a fact that my wife does not always feel like cooking dinner, okay? Everybody, is that fair? <laughs> All right, okay, but she does it because she loves her family, okay? And we get hangry, okay? All right. So, no, but she loves her family. That's why she does. See, love often goes against the feeling that we're actually having in the moment here. And that's not being duplicitous necessarily. That's not being insincere like we talked about before. You can still have a sincere act of love even when you're going against what you feel because you know what is right and what is good. So that was the first objection. We could spend more time on that, but I'm not going to. But here's why I want to talk about this. Fill in the blank does not deserve to be loved. Maybe someone here, you're thinking through a situation, and you're hearing me tell you that you have to show love towards other people. And the only thing you've been able to think of this entire sermon is that one person who has sinned so terribly against you and has not even repented of it. And that's the only thing you can think about. That's a reality. What do you do in a situation like that? How do you you take a command of love one another earnestly when you have someone who has flagrantly and terribly sinned against you in some way and doesn't even show an ounce of remorse for it? That's maybe the objection here. Um, What I would say this, though, is that uh, and maybe some of you are uh, thinking that, but maybe that's, that's, a, that's a category. Maybe it's sort of felt rather than uh, practically felt rather than objectively felt. What I mean by that is like um, you're withholding love towards other people, not necessarily tied to a certain sin, but it's something that you just, you just don't like the person. So be more practical than objectively. But let me just answer by saying this way, asking you a question. Who did Jesus love? Jesus loves terrible sinners. Now I'm going to round this out in a minute here and talk about the importance of repentance here in a minute and maybe what you do with someone who has not repented. But for right now, just understand this, that there are a lot of people in the Bible that we scratch our head at and say, how in the world? For instance, I'm not going to get into all the stories and details, but I'll just mention these two names. If you know who they are, it works. How in the world did Jephthah, in Hebrews chapter 11? How in the world did Samson get in Hebrews chapter 11? If you don't know, Hebrews chapter 11 is this list of people, a hall of faith, some people say, of people's testimony of who God saved in the Old Testament. How did they get there? I think that's the point. See, the point is, is that throughout the Scriptures, God surprises us with whom he loves and whom he transforms. He does. And so who are we to say that someone else is not worthy of that? And so when we look at who Jesus loves, and we say, okay, Jesus loves his creation. Jesus loves his people. One of the prayers that I have for my own sake and to help me in this, and I offer it to you, is help me to love people the way you love people. Help me to see people the way you see them. And so someone here may be saying, you know, this person has done this terrible thing to me, and so I I just can't love that person. Just understand that sometimes, you know, that that God calls us to love difficult people. And I'll say this, is that sometimes the most difficult people to love are other Christians. They are. It's because God, he saves up messed up people, and we are all works in process. In fact, I'll say this, the the greatest amount of pain and hurt that has been caused to me has been by other Christians, and so this is, this is real. This is rubber meets the road type thing. But yeah, God calls me to love earnestly. And so what do, what do I do with this? Well, first of all, the fact that God saves messed up people and we're all works of process. I should, first of all, recognize that about myself. And so I should work on those rough edges that make it hard for people to love me. And I would offer the same advice to you. Secondly, I need to recognize it about other people and show them the patience and grace and hope that, that I hope other people show towards me. I also offer that advice to you. And so what we have here is we have this recognition. Okay, God, we want people to be patient with us. We should be patient with other people. We don't know what God's doing in their life. Now, that doesn't mean we ignore sin. That doesn't mean we sugarcoat it. It doesn't mean that we just act like nothing's happened. We can still show love towards someone, even if they haven't repented. And that may simply mean by not retaliating and reminding ourselves that God is the one who judges justly and not take that on our own self. This is what Peter, excuse me, Paul did with Alexander the coppersmith in Second Timothy. He warns uh, Timothy about him, and he says, he has done me much harm. He says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You see, that's love of saying, I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna try to enact revenge. I'm not gonna to, uh, uh, obsess over this guy. I'm just going to say, God's gonna deal with that, because he has not repented. Sometimes that's the way we show love. But most of the time, that's not the situations that we find ourselves in. Let me bring this to close. Um, hope is how we think. Holiness is how we live. The practical outworking of that is how we love. Okay, how do we love? That's what he's about here. So here's the question I want to land on: How different would our church look if we all intentionally loved each other earnestly from a pure heart? That would be a good discussion question for a small group. How different? Would your church how different would your home look? What about your job? What about our community? We can put in a lot of different environments in there. But how different would it look if we all intentionally loved each other earnestly from a pure heart? That's my desire.